0: to Proverbs 2? Yep. All right, so I at first I was like, oh, we'll just read the first four verses. And I was like, oh, maybe we'll read the first ten verses. Uh, you know what? Let's just read the whole chapter. It's that good. So we won't spend too much time talking about it, but let's just read it. Um, I think it's a great proverb It's one I go to often before opening the Word and kind of spending time in devotions, and it's a common just prayer for myself, um, for for Mel, and for the kiddos. So uh, would somebody, either two people, uh, divide it up in half, or one person just read all the way through? Uh, Who's got us this morning? I can read half. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Somebody else can jump in after him.
1: My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom
2: For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to the earth and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land. And those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. Proverbs 2 kind of hit a whole new meaning for me about five years ago, which is hard to believe, but about five years ago, Mel and I and uh, this, this little-known guy named Fuego uh, as well got to go spend a couple weeks in in Costa Rica with an organization called Students International. Just an organization that's doing an incredible job of just reaching students in Costa Rica with the gospel and just doing evangelism and discipleship really well. Well, before I... Was heading out on the trip. Somebody had said, "Hey, you gotta get some time with the leader there, the organization." And his name's Jeff. He's he's probably one of the best leaders I've ever come across. And so I was able to set up just a couple hours with him on the side to get some time, just ask him some leadership questions. And I remember being so excited leading up to the trip, not only for the trip, but to get to spend a couple hours with this guy and just ask him some leadership questions and. And so forth, but right before leaving for the trip, I remember reading Proverbs two right here, and I really felt from the Holy Spirit as I read it. Dave, you're so excited to meet with a leader and learn from his wisdom, but what about me? Uh, what about my word? What about the fact that that my wisdom has been around for all of eternity? How hungry are you to sit down with me and ask me questions? And it really hit me because I realized I, I'm very grateful. I love sitting down with mentors. I love, And one of the reasons is, is because you get to sit down with somebody who has lived 20, 30, 40, 50 more years of experience than you. And you get to ask questions because they've got a larger scope to look at than you do. And this thought hit me from Proverbs 2 that, well, God... What about spending time with the one who is outside of space and time, who is eternal? So it's not just 40 more years of wisdom that you have the opportunity to to soak up, uh, but you get to sit down with an eternal God and ask for his perspective it reminds me of Job. Job kind of humble or God humbles Job and says, hey, were you around when uh, I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you around when I gave the borders to the oceans and created the stars in the sky and and the, the lion, the tiger, the bear? Were you around? No. OK, <laughs> I've been around a while, you know, and Proverbs 2 just reminds me um, that. Uh, The beauty of God's word is we get to draw near to an eternal God who will share his wisdom with us. We get to draw near and hear his voice and and learn from him and humble ourselves before him. And that's the beauty of opening God's word at six in the morning on a Thursday morning. Everybody logging on Zoom is together we come before an eternal God with eternal wisdom. And we say, here we are. We want to learn from you. We want to draw near to you about how to live in your world that you've created. So um, hunger for wisdom, that's that's a desire I really have for us as a community, as a church, as that we people, be people that love to draw near, humble ourselves, and listen to the voice of God. So uh, let me pray for us, and then I'll tell you a little bit about where we're headed this morning, and, and we'll go from there. So Father, we love you. Uh, We're so grateful for who you are. Uh, Proverbs 2 reminds us, Holy Spirit, thank you for these words that you have inspired. You've breathed them out. And so we open your word and and we just say, you're the teacher, we're the students. We want to learn from you. We want to know how to love as Christ has loved us. We want to know how to live in this world in a way that brings you glory um, and brings good to those around us. Jesus, we want to see people around us filled with your life, crucified on the cross and brought back to new life in you. So help us this morning. We don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, instead, we want to be bold with the gospel like Paul. Help us to become more like Paul as he pursued you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, So we're going to read Romans 1 together once again, just kind of grab the whole context. And then we've got some homework that we're excited about that I know everybody's done. And uh, so what we'll do after we read Romans 1 is Sean will kind of lead us through that conversation about this homework as uh, John's going to talk a little bit about the phrase for faith, from faith in verse 17. And then Connie, I believe you had the biblical word of righteousness. And then Ann, you had the biblical word of ungodliness. And Dave, you had the biblical word of fool or foolishness. Everybody sound, sound good? And did I catch anybody by surprise? <laughs> All right, we're good. All right, well, let's read Romans 1 together. And then Sean, you can take us from there through those, those words there. Somebody got Romans uh, 1 and we can pass it around.
3: Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from uh, excuse me, is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith.
4: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and all things that have been made. So they are without excuse. To dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen.
3: For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged their natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion one for another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. not They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. <coughs> Man, that's rough. Hmm. Um, okay, so let's go through some of the words that we just— Picked up in, in 18 through uh, 32 who wants to go first we had uh, ungodliness unrighteousness and fool or foolish would somebody be kind enough to uh, help us define one of those first
0: and Sean also just throw in there John's phrase he he studied for faith from faith
3: yes
4: yeah
0: okay
3: cool John do you want to, would you like to do that before you define words or after? I can do it right now. That's fine. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, as I looked
4: at it, um, you know, as I shared last week, it's always kind of been a confusing thing for me. But um, as I, I read through that, the somewhat overwhelming consensus is that that is a, the, from faith, which is uh, the beginning of your faith in Christ, um, and for faith is the following of Christ builds up a faith that um that matures and so um the implication is is that we have um a um, kind of a baby faith in Jesus Christ we, we're we're saved and as he uh, works in our life and we dwell on the word that um our faith grows and becomes um uh, mature and it becomes active, it becomes, uh, 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 grow, it, it, as it matures, it becomes unmovable. And it becomes a foundation uh, uh, for our walk uh, based upon
3: uh, the, uh, the very word of God. So. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, and, you know, if you guys don't mind, since we're there, I wanted to ask a quick question. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. This is in 16. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but there's been many instances in my life where I've um, wanted to share the gospel but been perhaps embarrassed about how I'll look in front of other people or in a a weird environment, social environment, whatnot. How do we get to the point of, like Paul says, being not ashamed of the gospel? What, 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 I guess how, yeah, how do we get to the point of, of not being ashamed of the gospel? How did how did Paul view the gospel and how do we apply that to ourselves to where we get to that point? How about you don't care what people think? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Dennis the, the problem is that's easy for us to say, at least it's easy for me to say. I can't speak for any of you, but it's easy for me to say. But the truth is when you get out there, it's it's a different ballgame. The question, the, the, the idea, for, the, the idea that, I'm, that I have in mind is that I think that um, in order to not be ashamed of the gospel, we really need to, to put ourselves in second place. We need to step out of ourselves. As we're going to talk about it in Romans a lot and see the world for what it is broken in the need of Christ. And so I think that's what Paul says where he says, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. When we realize that salvation is the only thing that matters at the end of our life. Literally the only thing. Uh, Jesus and salvation.
1: Yeah, Anthony. Sorry, I don't know how to do the Zoom thing. This is all of my okay. second time doing it. <laughs> That's why I raised my hand like I was in class. That's okay.
0: But I think more than
1: just not caring about what people think. I think it's more having a love for people so much. Yes. You want the heart behind it has to be love and compassion for other people. And I think it's twofold because you love them so much that you don't want to see them go to hell. You know, we don't know who's called to salvation. Since we don't know who's called to salvation, we treat everybody as if they are called right. So loving people and caring for people, you know, the only way that you can really do that is uh, present Jesus to them. And I think in certain instances, In some instances, it's going to look different, right? Like I work at the mission. Um, Last night I preached, last night um, on James 1, you know, and I chose that because, I mean, we all need to, when we're faced with various trials, especially when we're homeless or drug addicted or at the bottom end of our ropes, um, what does it look like to consider it all joy? You know, it sounds foreign, just like the gospel is going to sound foreign to the world. Every time it's never going to make sense. And that's why you can't be ashamed of it because the world is going to consider it folly. It's going to consider it foolishness. Why should I stop what feels good? Why can't I adopt her? Why can't I have sex outside of marriage? Why can't I be gay? Why can't I do all these things that the world tells me is okay. And it's because your life, there's still life after death and where you're going to spend that life is up, is kind of up to you and up to God, you know? Yeah, Anthony,
3: that's good. Um, I yeah, I think I think uh, I think you're right. I think we need to see the world for what it is, and not um, for what we want it to be or what we feel like it should be. We need to see the world. We need to see people like Paul and Jesus saw people, right? A broken world that really needs Christ. Yeah, Yeah. thanks. That was really good. Anybody else?
4: I think another. aspect in speaking personally here is that, um, uh, Jesus Christ and the word of God, um, stops being a add on to the, my life versus my very life. Um, mm, yeah. There's a, there's a transition there that you know, I I can, I can carry on with my life, and um, you know, God is my helper, and He's gonna He's gonna help me through what I want to do. To um, you know, as Paul said in, in Philippians, you know, I count everything as loss to gain Jesus Christ. And that that change uh, in thinking um, is slow, and it is uh, lifelong uh, because uh, the flesh attacks daily but um, I think that that's a a pathway that we all need to decide we're going to take
5: I think it's also important to remember that if you're going to talk the talk you better walk the walk it's important to hold ourselves up to a higher standard than we would if we were sharing the gospel with somebody who's not a Christian because they're going to look at you and go, well, that's all well and good, but what are you doing in your life? And it, it, it's important that you walk the walk because that that sends more truth to people than if you sit and share with them all day long.
3: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah that's we what you believe. We talked last week, right? What's that? We talked about holiness last week, right? Being set apart, not adopting the standards of the world, but in fact adopting them the standards of Christianity. I think that's what you're getting at. Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Anybody else?
6: Um, can you hear me? I don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I realized my video is not working, but I wasn't sure if my mic was. Um, I think when it comes to not being ashamed to share the gospel is sometimes we have to, I think going on to what Dennis had said is just sometimes we have to not be ashamed of ourselves. Um, because we do have that fear sometimes of like am I worthy to share this with that person when like these are the, the actions that I'm living and then kind of combining what Jonathan said is just adding that that aspect and letting the gospel consume you because recently I've been working a lot on this thing called conversational ministry which is not necessarily just reading scripture and speaking it but to someone is just having that conversation with someone and letting the gospel, kind of just like flow through me and letting God like work through me. And I've noticed that when I just trust in the Lord, like sometimes I can pull out verses and I didn't even know I remembered And they're Mm -hmm. just coming, Mm -hmm. just flowing into the conversation and um, just showing people that love of Jesus Christ through like me just being there and making them feel valued. Um, And sometimes I have to really like check my shame and think like, am I ashamed of the gospel or am I ashamed of my actions? And do I feel worthy enough to have this conversation with someone?
3: Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, who would like to, uh, who would like to define the first word for the morning?
2: I have righteousness. Okay. Okay. It was taken from verse 17. Um and Strong says, equity of character or act, specifically Christian justification. That was from Strong's Concordance. Um, <clears throat> so then I went to just a Google um, definition. It says, the condition acceptable to God, doctrine concerning the way man attains a state of God's approval, or integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So in the Old Testament, um, righteousness was an act of faith and obedience to the law. Uh, The atoning work of cleansing of sin by a sacrifice um, was accounted to him as righteousness, so sacrifice of the animal. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So in the New Testament, righteousness has been imparted to us. It is who we are, and it is a completed work.
3: Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Connie. Mm-hmm. Really good. Dave or Ann, would you guys like to take the next one? Mm-hmm.
7: Okay, okay, I go. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. My word was ungodliness. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Ungodliness is the condition of being polluted with sin. To be ungodly is to act in a way that is contrary to the nature of God. To actively oppose God in disobedience or to have an irreverent disregard for God. The Bible talks of the ungodly as those who are separated from God. The ungodly are those who do not know God through Jesus Christ. They have rejected God's Son and remain in their sin. Um, my verse, I have two verses, 2 Timothy 2.16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And then Titus 2.11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce the ungodliness and worldly passions,
1: And to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in present age. Okay, good. Thank you. I really like that you used the word actively opposing. Hmm. Yeah. That was awesome because that's such a, that's like a real, like, ah, like always, always, always opposing when we're living in ungodliness. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's also like kind of similar to when it's, when the Bible says, uh, God resists the proud.
5: Hmm.
1: It's an act of resisting, like pushing away. Yeah, hmm.
5: that was cool. Dave. Okay. Um, I the first definition that I got of all four of these: fool, foolish, foolishness, and folly, hmm. was lack of good sense or lack of good judgment. But then there was another definition that I had found. It said, a person who acts unwisely or imprudently. And so then I had to look up imprudently because I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And it said, not showing care for the consequences of one's action. And I thought, well, that sounds all good on paper, but what's the biblical definition of this? Mm -hmm. And so I looked up that and it said, does not fear or respect God, Mm -hmm. does not believe there is accountability or justice here, or in the afterlife. I thought that was interesting. And then does not believe in God's word, and then flat out, there is not a God.
6: Hmm.
3: Yeah, that's good. It it seems to be, Dave, someone who deliberately turns away from from the obvious, from wisdom, from, uh, like you said, turns away from God, right? Yeah, it's an an on-purpose thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not that, I think sometimes the world uses fool as, as somebody who doesn't know better, but I think scripturally it, it 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 makes it clear that they do know better. They just choose to do the opposite, right? They're deliberately turning from it. Yeah. Correct. That's
5: good. Yeah. In fact, in fact, one other thing it said: <clears throat>
3: uh, prone to go the wrong direction in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you, guys. I think that's going to help us as we move forward and keep those definitions as mo- in mind as we uh, as we read uh, eighteen through thirty-two. Back
0: to you, Dave. Yeah. Oh, you guys, you have to know how much fun it is to mute my microphone and to sit back and just take notes while people are laying out the work they did this week to dig into biblical definitions of words and phrases. That's so much fun. Uh, Dave, The your work on fool, foolishness, folly, I forget the fourth version of that word that you talked about. But um, I, Sean and I were talking a little bit last night on the phone, and we were talking a little bit about wisdom versus foolishness, and man, I could go off for like an hour on that one, because it's such a important theme all the way through Scripture. It's one of the reasons I want to start with Proverbs 2 this morning of just hungering for wisdom. I've always been kind of thrown off by the phrase that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, like just... How does that make sense? But I like that you talked about how a fool has no fear of God, no fear of judgment, no fear of life after death. They just think they're good. They're good enough. They'll be fine. They don't stop to think about the consequences of whether choosing to draw near to God or not. So thank you. Thank you guys for your work on those those words and phrases. Let's pick up. Uh, read, Let's read verses 15 through 17, just to kind of catch uh, speed again, and then we'll roll into 18. So could somebody read 15 through 17, Romans 1, 15 through 17?
5: So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith.
0: All right. Thank you. So, yeah, um, we I know we just defined and looked a lot of words and phrases in there and we spent some time on it last week. So just to kind of set the table for rolling into 18 there. Um, remember, we've we've talked for a couple weeks now on the importance of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, um, and so we want to continue throughout the book of Romans as we study this together to get better and better at just clearly defining what we mean by the gospel. And um, and so you know we'll check back in every few weeks. Of man, how is how's Paul kind of pushing on and challenging? how you would describe or explain the gospel to somebody. Um, Victoria, I love what you said about conversational ministry or evangelism, of just engaging in conversation and letting the word and the truth of God flow through you. Um, you know, talking about not being ashamed of the gospel as you guys were talking about that. I think of 2 Corinthians, Paul also talks about being compelled by the love of Christ that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all uh, that those who live for him um, would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And that's a prayer of mine because to a couple of your guys' points, uh, people pleasing or trying to fit in or uh, can kind of get in the way for me and it caused me to be ashamed of the gospel. And so a, a constant prayer for me is I want to be so compelled by the gospel I want to be so filled up by it, and I want to love people that I don't care if they're you know, offended. I don't care if they don't you know, like me, but I want them to know the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. So constant prayer to grow in boldness and courage there. Uh, somebody pick up and just read verse 18 for us. Verse 18.
2: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth.
0: So you guys may notice here the first 17 verses of Romans 1, we've talked quite a bit about. Now 18, you can probably tell by reading it, we've read it several times now there's a shift that takes place, right? Even in the tone, in the, like, if you're just go off feelings alone of reading Romans 1, you can feel something shift here in verse 18. What what would you guys say is shifting here from the first 17 verses of chapter 1 to now 18 through 32? There is, there's, there's a little bit of a a turn of direction Paul takes. How would you guys describe that? Brutal uh, sorry, i sorry i didn't I heard something yeah,
4: it, sounds, it sounds brutal yeah
0: brutal, I think it's important to keep in mind, uh Dave, you laid out that that foolishness uh description really well, and there was a phrase in there I wanted to remember when we got to eighteen through thirty two that I forgot um as you were laying that out, but um this this constant kind of rejection. And Anthony, you highlighted this as well from I think Anne's uh definition of ungodliness, this active opposing or rejection of God, right? Um just three things. yeah, go ahead. I think I think part of the shift that's kind of sticks out to me is that um
1: in order to really appreciate the gospel, you have in order I've heard it said like in order to appreciate being saved, you have to know what you were saved from mm-hmm. and I think that when you're talking about the wrath of god um that's kind of the that's the sweetness of the salvation, right mm-hmm. is that instead of you having to have to bear the wrath of God, that Christ in your place bore that wrath. He took that wrath mm-hmm. and uh, took it in our place and that's that's the part of the gospel that um
0: that I think yeah. maybe that's part of the shift too, you know. Can I put you on the spot a little, Anthony? Because uh, I know you're up for it. Um, for the for the person who may struggle with like, wait, I don't know what to do with the wrath of God. Like, I I like the Jesus died on the cross for me, and God is compassionate, and <laughs> He's merciful, He's gracious, He's a forgiving God but I don't know what to do with this idea that God is angry or wrathful. Uh, How would you engage somebody in a conversation about that?
1: Um, I think I would say, you know, that God has many attributes and yes, love, love is is one of his attributes, but so is wrath. And he's, it, it all comes to who do you say God is? Is God just, is he incapable of making mistakes? Is he right? you know so if he's incapable of making mistakes then he's just in his wrath and i think that a part of the gospel that has to be proclaimed a lot and i think is going to be proclaimed is that god is and like Anne said with the actively opposing mm-hmm. god actively hates sin he hates sin mm-hmm. and he hates it so much that there's a penalty for it mm-hmm. And that's the God that's the huge part of the gospel, like I was saying, is that Christ bore that wrath. He had to die and get all of God's wrath poured mm-hmm. onto him in our place so we may be seen righteous mm-hmm. in the sight of God. Because when we are born, we're born into sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean we learned that in Genesis, right? In Genesis three from the fall, mm-hmm. you know, and then Genesis three, you see it, you see a kind of snowball from Adam and Eve. To Abel, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And then, unrepentant of his sin, uh, my my judgment is too much for me to bear. To Lamech, rolling to Lamech, and he's mm-hmm. even worse, proclaiming he's worse than Abel ever was. Mm-hmm. And it's just a snowball of sin, and God is constantly punishing that. And that's why there had to be sacrifices before. Mm-hmm. That's why, and it never covered sin. But it kind of gave like, um, I don't know the word for it, but it kind of like um, is what God called for to uh, to cover the sin of the people, kind of. And that's where Christ is the ultimate lamb. You hear him called the the perfect lamb of God because he was unblemished, born into flesh, tempted like everybody else, but did not sin, did not fall into the temptation and died into the sin so the wrath of god is just as much a part of his attributes as Mm -hmm. his love grace and mercy but that's what makes it even more sweeter Mm -hmm. is that he didn't have to save us but he chose to save us Mm -hmm. and that christ chose to give up
0: everything for us
1: Mm -hmm. that's
0: good man sean young i feel like anthony has spent a little bit of time in genesis with you in the past I just get, I just get that. I get that sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You guys know know how much we love the book of Genesis. It's hard not to go back to it. So Anthony. I'm not going
3: to lie. I was sitting really proudly.
0: Yeah. Good job. Um, thank you, Anthony. I knew, I knew I could put you on the spot, man, and you'd be up for going for it. Let me just open this back up to the entire uh, group here. Um, Anthony, you use the phrase that God hates sin. Let's talk about that for a second. Why does God hate sin? Or let's go back to the actively opposed phrase. God is actively opposed to sin. Why?
6: Because it separates us from him.
0: Separates us from him. Mm Mm-hmm. Good.
7: Um, because it suppresses the will of God, um, who keeps the world from working as God originally created? Mmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. Man, I feel like you were just like ready for that question. <laughs> I was
7: ready last night.
0: Okay. Yeah, I love it. Like, I feel like your notes probably are much better than mine this morning. <laughs> is the feeling I'm getting. Uh, okay. So separates us from God, and then, and you said something along the lines of it keeps say that again sorry
7: suppresses the will of god
0: suppresses the will of god and then i like the second part of of that of it Keepi-
7: sin keeps the world from uh, working as god originally created the
0: world mm-hmm. anything else you guys would add to that why does god why is god actively opposed why does he hate sin
3: I would say that um, if, going back to Genesis, since that's where uh, Anthony and Anne were going, is um, God created us to reflect his image and, and his image and, and attributes. Uh, and so sin is is um, is contrary to his nature, contrary mm-hmm. to the way we were designed to, to rule the world, guys. Remember we talked about mm-hmm. in Genesis about his
1: about us ruling the world, and so I would say it's contrary to his nature.
0: Mm-hmm. It's good,
3: and
1: I think when we're sinning, we're we're not we're not saying that God is God, but you know that our flesh is God or whatever our um, desires are God. Because I remember that from Genesis three, also from Adam and Eve. You know, they chose, they wanted a different religion. They they wanted their own religion, what they wanted, what they thought was best instead of trusting in God, what he thought was best and what he said was best. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it makes us God, right, Anthony? When we sin, it's, it's yeah. us. I, I want to be my own God rather than
1: trust in the God of, uh, God of scriptures. It's mm-hmm. like slapping his hand away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and back to the, the wrath, um, portion. I think this is so valuable for us to recapture this understanding and, and the attribute of God, I think we've been embarrassed. If, if if we're honest as Christians, I think we don't like to talk about it because we don't know how to talk about God being full of, of wrath. So we kind of don't talk about it unless we have to. I think we got to recapture this idea of wrath. Um, Tim Keller, I think, has explained it really well. He talks about the wrath of God uh, being the opposite side of the same coin of love. And he mm-hmm. talks about how the wrath of God is because of how much he loves us and so the wrath of god is is the reality that he hates anything that hurts what he loves and so you guys all just said it you know and laid it out really well that sin separates us from god sin uh does harm to our good world ultimately Uh, We'll get to it in Romans, Um, sin leads to death, not just physical death, but eternal death and separation from God. So God hates what sin does to you and to me and what it does to his good creation. And so he will pour his wrath out on it to, to, uh, to wipe out and to bring his justice on wrath to restore us to who we were originally created to be and to restore his good creation. Um, so that sin no longer separates us from relationship with Him, and it no longer, uh, we no longer, with sin in us and through us, bring harm to one another and to creation. And so, wrath is important. Um, let's, I just say, moving forward uh, as as believers in Jesus, uh, let's not be afraid to talk about wrath. Let's not be. Afraid to define it uh, because it's it really is the beautiful side, uh, the other side of the coin of love that God so deeply loves. He's so committed to you and to me and to his good world that he will do whatever it takes to get sin out of us. Um, even go so far as Anthony, you said so well that Christ would take that wrath upon himself so that we could be freed from death um, or from sin through our our identifying with the death of Christ. So we'll continue to come back to that. But wrath, it's it's a beautiful attribute of God if we're willing to embrace it and not be embarrassed about it. There's no reason to be embarrassed about the wrath of God. It is a beautiful picture of how committed he is to us. So uh, any thoughts you guys would add on that before we move into verse 19? I know we're moving really fast here. We're all the way in verse eighteen, so I hope you guys are keeping up. But uh, anything that you guys would throw in there with with wrath before we move to nineteen, and we'll continue to see it through thirty-two. But
1: I think that a way that I would work on, like for myself, to give people a, a picture of wrath, just using my testimony, would be um, when I was on drugs and like in gangs and stuff. You know, it's kind of similar to like my parents having to distance themselves from me and kind of give me tough love and cut me off and leave me to where I have to go, mm-hmm. you know? And it's kind of similar with God with us is that when we're living in sin, you know, that his wrath looks like cutting us off spiritually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And get, like later on, we'll get to turning turning themselves over, you know, to their sinful desires. Yeah, that's good. And the, just it, like... It's like my parents didn't like that they had to do that. God didn't doesn't like it. You know, the Bible says that he doesn't take any joy in anybody going to hell. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make him happy. It's not something that he that He wants to do. But um, he's never changing, and he's always just. And in his just judgment, you know, um, some are going to fall into that.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: One more, uh, Anthony, you said that. Remind me of one paragraph here that— um, I, I have that one more thought on on wrath before we move into nineteen. And I think this is really important for us in the day we live in because uh this author, Becky Pippert, um she writes about wrath. Uh Connie, are you familiar with her? You're you're nodding. Okay. Um I was doing a little research on her. I hadn't heard of her before, but wow, she wrote an amazing paragraph. Or go ahead, Connie. Oh, I think you're still muted.
2: Just
3: from my generation,
0: today, that's why you. Have- <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, she's like a brand new world to be here. So, anyway, she wrote an incredible thought on wrath and tolerance, and I just wanted to read that to you guys and maybe let you think about it for uh, a minute, and then we'll roll into nineteen. So, yeah, Connie, if you have more thoughts or quotes from her, pass them my way. Um, and so, anyway, here's here's what she says. As She's talking about kind of the fact that the more she loves somebody, the angrier she gets with them when they're doing something that hurts them. So she says this, if I see somebody hurting themselves and I don't love them that much, I don't know them that much. I'm tolerant. Think about this. The less I love somebody, the more tolerant I am if I see them doing things that will seem to be hurting themselves. But the more I love somebody, the less tolerant I am. I want, and then she says this, I want to shake them. I want to say, can't you see? Don't you know what you're doing to yourself? You're becoming less and less yourself every time I see you. I'm not angry because I hate them. I'm angry because I love them. If I didn't love them, I'd just walk away. Real love stands against deception. Real love stands against lies that destroy. Um, Man, I thought... Wow, I think she captured the idea of the importance of wrath and um, intolerance. I'm going to use that word, intolerance towards sin. We are not tolerant when it comes to sin because we know that it destroys human lives. And so this idea of tolerance will not work in Christianity. We are intolerant when it comes to sin that brings harm to the people that we love. So anyway, I thought she just captured that really well. So um, verse 19, somebody take us into 19, read that for us, and we'll go from there.
2: For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them.
0: All right, perfect. So, somebody tell me a little bit. Um, it, it's talking about what can be known about God as plain to them because God has showed it to them. What What is verse nineteen talking about? What should be plain to us? What has God shown to us?
1: I think God has shown us through His creation that you know that He exists.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you yeah, the, see, or go ahead. Sorry.
3: Create, I'm sorry, did. No, go ahead. <clears throat> I was just gonna say the intricacies. If we stop and look at creation of how how complicated things are, um, it's it's foolish, right, Dave, to even consider that it's a it's hmm. a random chance or a product of time. Hmm. Um, and, and so. <clears throat> I think we missed a little part of uh eighteen Dave that maybe is gonna flow into nineteen, talking about them <clears throat> excuse me, suppressing the truth.
0: Oh yeah, thank you. I missed yeah. it.
3: No, that's that's fine.
0: You want chat uh, talk about that?
3: No, just just I think it's obvious in our world now that, that we're seeing uh, on from from every direction the mm-hmm. truth is being suppressed. Um and since we're talking about um things being plain to us. Because God has shown us to us, shown it to us. Um, I think nothing more obvious than than just the simplicity of creation, or the simple uh, of creation. That the the the, the, the um, something we walk past, we we walk through daily. How do you not walk outside and marvel mm. at, at at what God's created?
0: Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks for bringing us back to that phrase. That's a huge phrase we need that sets the tone for the rest of all the way through verse 32, that they suppress the truth. So God has revealed his righteousness. He's made himself known through creation. We'll talk about that here in 19. Of uh, We can know that there is a God. There's a being greater than us through his creation. Uh, we'll end with a psalm about that. Um, he's given us human conscience. Um, and then also through through the special revelation we would call of, of the appearance of his son who became human. So God has made himself known to us. But that, that word suppress the truth, you guys have probably heard us talk about this before, but it, it's kind of like if you're in a swimming pool and you're trying to hold a beach ball underwater. If you've ever tried to do that, that idea of like you, you know you can't do it, but you try and do it anyway and it always pops back up. That's kind of the phrase Paul is using is... As humans, we know this truth. Uh, We know that there is a creator. We know that there is intelligent design uh, when we look at the stars and the way that the, the body works and DNA just we know that there's somebody something greater than ourselves but we want to be our own gods we want autonomy we want to be in control and so we try and sup- suppress that truth that our lives belong to another because we want to control our lives we want to be the the quote-unquote captain of our own fates right Um, so let's maybe just to wrap up this morning, um, and then we'll pick up some speed in 18 through 32 next week. Um, but let's, uh, turn on over to Psalm 19 and we'll just read a little bit of that together. And as we turn there, Sean, are there any words looking forward that you would want us to, to, um, work on defining for next week? Uh, no, I think we're good.
3: Uh, through 32, um, but certainly in, in chapter two, we'll, we'll
0: okay. uh, see if we can define something. Perfect. Okay. Well, would somebody, um, we'll just read this and, and uh, talk a bit about it, and we'll we'll call it a morning here. But would somebody read the first six verses of Psalm 19? I, I believe Paul is pulling back on passages like this and saying, here you go. God has made himself clear to you and to I. So Psalm 19, uh, first six verses, please.
1: And, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The
0: first six or nine. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, if you were to look at Psalm 19, it's kind of split pretty cleanly. Uh, The first six verses are a clear picture of, of God has made himself known to you and to me through his creative work. And then 7 through 14 is talking about how God makes himself known and we can know him and walk in relationship with him through his written word. So his created work and his written word, we can know him and have relationship with him. We're going to get into it, like I said, next week. We'll kind of back up, go 18, 19, 20. You're going to see Paul talk about this idea how um, God has made it plain to us through his creative work. Um, that as psalm 19 says the heavens are declaring uh, his glory and his handiwork right so we look up and we say wow look at look at the creator look at the artist behind this work um, and it, it ought to fill us with an awe and a humility as as dave you defined a fool a fool a fool can look up at the stars and say, Oh, that's you know, that's kinda kinda cool how that came together. <laughs> you know, a wise person will humble themselves and say, Whoa, what a God. What what a creator would would design and pull all this together and and keep it spinning all exactly how it should be. What an incredible God. And there's a fear and an awe and a humility that draws us near. To this, so we'll we'll talk more about that next week, and then what happens when we look up at that and say ah, and we suppress it. God's response, Anthony, you already went there a little bit about kind of turning us over or giving us up. So we'll talk about that. Any other thoughts you guys have this morning before we wrap up? (laughs) All right, cool. Sounds good. Alright, so uh, everybody's off the hook uh, for homework this next week, uh, but go ahead and just read through Romans one, one more time, and then I, I believe next week, I don't want to make false promises, but I believe next week we'll, um, we'll work our way, 18 through 32, um, but be prepared, do do some work, be thinking through it. It does get a little heavy, but it's also, there are some topics packed in these verses that are so vital For the time we live in, and so um, yeah, these this is a good passage for us to know and know how to engage people in conversation with. So, Uh, actually, Dave,
3: before before we close up, can uh, maybe maybe a little bit of homework? If oh okay,
0: wow, you almost got off. Yeah,
3: I'll 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 make it easy though. (laughs) If uh, if you guys can read through eighteen through thirty-two and maybe start jotting down some ideas or some questions that you might have regarding what's being said here, as John said, this is rough. Mm -hmm. This is really rough. And I I suspect we're going to be, um, we're going to camp here for a little while talking through, talking through what Paul's, uh, Paul's trying to convey to us. So just maybe write down some, some thoughts or ideas of what you see and let's maybe talk about them next week.
0: That's good. Awesome. Okay.
7: I wanted to ask Connie and Dave, if you could share those notes that you, you know, read to us about righteousness and, yeah um, like to have
0: those notes as well. only here's here's the the conditional catch only if you'll share your notes and because they're way better than mine so let's do it let's do a note swap okay i like that good i'll drop that paragraph in our group text right now so okay connie would you be willing to pray for us this morning sure. all right thanks <laughs>
2: Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to come before you and um, look at your word, Father, and examine our lives as well. We thank you for um, the challenges that you give us. And we ask, Father, that as we walk throughout our day, that you would continually remind us, number one, of um, who you are, your magnificence, your um, your holiness, your righteousness, Lord, and um, remember that uh, you are um, you are God, mm-hmm. and we are not, and we are thankful for that. And uh, give us understanding of the the love that you have for us, Father. Um, and we give you praise and thanks. Go with us uh, through this day, Father. May you be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>